into the sin bin. This is Penalty Box Radio. Four-time Best Sports Blog winner. With Justin Bradford. Three-time winner for Best Sports Reporter and Commissioner of the SECHC. And Glenn Blackwell. It's time to talk all things hockey in the music city. Penalty Box Radio is on. Smashville's Best Sports Talk. ESPN. 1025 The Game. Hello and welcome to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Justin Bradford, my snookums, What's Jeremy up? K. Gover. What's up, boo? Producer Kenny taking care of us as always behind the glass. Uh-huh. Oh, man, Gover, Gover got that, that late night voice going already. I got that. I'm battling a sinus infection voice going. <laughs> <laughs> You're ready for hockey tonight though, right? It doesn't affect my voice. Well, it better not. For those of you that don't know, Gover's my defensive partner, and we have a mighty drunks game at 10 o'clock tonight. If you're bored tonight and you're out and about on a, in Nashville, I tell you, Ford I, I, I feel like it's like smooth 90s. Are you doing Delilah R&B right now? Right now. <laughs> this is Albie. What was it? Albie Shore Radio. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Kenny like that one. Uh, no, so if you're out and about, uh, <laughs> try not to have that voice. It's really hard. I mean, if you're out and about tonight and you want to stop by Fordyce Center in Bellevue, uh, we will be on the ice. Around ten, game. it's an early game. I, early, for us, it is. Yeah, it's an early game. Last tonight. week was eleven fifteen. For those who don't know, we got out, I got home at around one thirty. So it's because you live in Spring Hill. That is also true. Uh, I don't. I live two miles from the rink. Yeah, rub it in. I I will. Okay, good. <laughs> go All back, right, go back to my Albie Shore voice. Well, very very glad Jeremy K. Gover. K stands for knowledge. And it also stands for Twitterless right now. Oh, yes. Yes, it does. The, the K is silent in but, Twitter for that. <laughs> oh, that was much better than mine. <laughs> uh, very glad to have Jeremy join us here. Uh, Glenn is busy selling homes. Uh, so This is not Glenn. That, that's, that, that's definitely not Glenn. But the Nashville Predators. It has been a curious start to the season. When I say curious, it's kind of going what I thought would happen. It started It started more of what I thought would happen. Then they really got into a good groove there. Some injuries have now occurred for the Natural Predators, which is, again, one of those, hmm, how are they going to respond to this? I mean, the Tennessee Titans have responded to injury very, very well. They're doing just fine. They're doing just fine. The Natural Predators are already facing a little bit of that adversity to see how they respond to this. I mean, Philip Forsberg out. Nick Cousins on the IR as well. You have the call-ups of Matthew Olivier and Mike McCarron, who we hope don't play. But That we do. <laughs> just, just McCarron better just be an extra, and it's Olivier that will play. Anyways, it's, it's adversity being faced, but it's an opportunity as well because in practice today, it was shown that it was Tomasino and Janot on a top line with Ryan Johansson. You know what, though? Honestly, Janot earns... Oh, I'm totally fine with it. Yeah, it's uh, the, he's the one guy that if you're going to move somebody up, no disrespect to Sissons, by the way, but if you're going to move somebody no, up, no. it's I mean, it's right now it's got to be Janot. He's going to do his job. Like that's yeah. that's the thing that I'm that I'm liking about Tanner Janot is I'm not saying you know what you have out of him yet because he's still young, but you know he's going to do his job, which is he's going to be physical, he's going to shoot the puck when he has an opportunity to, he's going to be mix some things up post whistle if he has to as well, but overall he's responsible. 
that's what I do like about Tanner Janelle. And I know the last time I said that he just doesn't take penalties. He took two in one game. Like, come on, man. You can't say that. <laughs> but but I'm liking Tanner Janelle's game, and it's the kind of thing that he can open some space up. He leads the team in penalty minutes, by the way. I know. Well, the, the fight. I know, I mean. which I know. It's just funny. Because <laughs> I looked down to like reference to my next point, and I was like, oh, oh. it's a landslide. He only- it, it is definitely a landslide. <laughs> Sorry about that. 20, well, 22 points. Yeah, I would, uh, 20 penalty. Yeah. Uh, so he, he is tied, though, for second. In the, on the team and goals. I mean, yeah. he, he is uh, everything you said. He's reliable. He's durable. He does his job. You never have to worry about when you put him on the ice in any kind of situation at all. And so he is really, in my opinion, has earned the chance for top line or top six minutes. And this is a, a perfect excuse to give him that. And maybe he goes up there and he's not as effective, and that's fine. He, but he has definitely earned a shot. And this is what I would like to see. Johansson feed puck to Tomasino. Tomasino shoot. Tanner Janot create space. That's what I want to see out of that line. Yeah, Janot, if he can create space, whether it be because they're focused on Johansson and Tomasino, which let's be honest, they should be. Yep. Uh, and then, or he can be a net front presence. Absolutely, pick it up. He can pick up the slack there, cause a screen, those kinds of things. He really is set up for success here. Even if he doesn't have it, they're still putting him in a position to succeed, and they're also rewarding a player who. Let's be honest, has earned it. He has earned yeah. his spot. We have seen now. This is a. This doesn't apply to right now. Matt Duchesne has been a whale of a player this season. But for for, for sake of argument, uh, Duchesne has not earned certain things at certain times in his stint with, in gold. And we've seen that. We've seen Coach Hines take him off the power play unit, right, and all that stuff. So this is a reverse of that. This is a guy who is he's paved his own way. He's he's again super reliable. You know what you're getting out of Tanner Janot, and he deserves a shot when an opportunity presents itself and this is a very unique opportunity is anyone calling him a top six player not yet but it is it is a guy who you can confidently say he's going to give you his best every single shift and with the with surrounded with talent like johansson and tomasino you never know what could happen and he's putting the puck in the back of the net and proving why he was protected i mean that's the thing that that's all you really want out of tanner to know is to show why did they protect you and he's doing what he's supposed to be doing right now which is he's producing uh so now we look at the road trip so far four out of the six games the predators got the overtime win against calgary which was a big win for them because of what calgary was doing to start the season they had the loss to edmonton and want to briefly discuss that i know we did last week but you didn't seem as detrimental of a loss there, too, because of what they were playing against. They were playing with their backup in net, Connor Ingram, who had a, still a good game overall when facing the competition like Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. So you, I didn't see fans freaking out over that loss. It's like, oh, hey, well, you need to beat Calgary, and that's big. And then you played overall a okay game, but still it was hard to outpower them. Then we go and get the win against Vancouver. So that's, that's four out of six points right there. Go to Chicago. This was the one. So I was there. For those of you who don't know, we had a group from Penalty Box Radio go up uh, to, to watch that and also enjoy the Milwaukee Admirals game that they got a win on, on Saturday, which big thanks to Milwaukee Admirals organization, to Jamie and Charlie for just taking care of the Penalty Box Radio group. The Milwaukee folks are awesome. Just love what they do up there, and they're so fan-friendly. So just make sure, folks, if you ever have an opportunity, take a trip to Milwaukee and go watch an ads game. They are tremendous up there. They, they, they took care of Robbie and I when we went up. We drove oh, yeah. up at the last second. Uh, possible because we pulled in like right before game time uh, <laughs> to see Pecorino's rehabilitation yep. starts in Milwaukee, and they were just so gracious and so great. Uh, I, I can't say enough about them. And so, roll into Chicago, who, as we all know, 
are dealing with a tremendous amount of distractions off the ice and dealing with things that you've heard us discuss here on the show and we'll discuss more in the last segment as well uh, off the ice. But then, the, as you can hear, Jeremy scratches beard. Sorry. I did not shave before <laughs> the game tonight. And then, and then they a, fire their coaching staff. A little visual radio for you. Right before this game. So head coach and assistant coach, Jeremy calls an out. And you start to wonder, and most people you can see on, on Twitter and Facebook going, oh, great. <laughs> so there, this, ha- the, this happens, adversity happens, and the Predators go into faces. You're going to face a team, a Blackhawks team just wants to at least prove themselves. And they went out, and that's what they did. I mean, the Predators played discombobulated for a lot of that game, and that's what Alexander Carrier and Yusuf Saros said even post-game. It was Saros that even kept them in the game. That could have easily been a 4-1 loss he in regulation. He played out of his mind. He played out of his mind uh, in that game because there were times where the Predators were just completely on their heels for minutes and minutes straight uh, during that game. And you could see the Blackhawks playing a lot more for pride. You had a bench boss back there that at least was familiar with the organization, promoted from within, unlike the situation when John Hines came in and it was like, hey, I'm John, go play, let's see what you have. That was really weird. That was, that was, that was a whooping, too. Uh, Mikhail Granlin celebrated with a goal that night. By yeah, the way, yeah. So that was a unique game and a loss in overtime. You still get a point. It's against a division rival, but you still get a point. And you finish the road trip. You're, you're about to finish the road trip with a, a positive light, at least. You still have two more games against other division rivals in back-to-backs. Oh, I really dislike Olympic years when it comes to all these back-to-backs. It's just compressing the schedule. Anyways, you won't care about that when the Olympics start, I promise. I'll be on my honeymoon. I'll be- <laughs> okay. You really won't care then. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. I won't care. <laughs> I know when the Olympics. Start, I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, the Olympics hockey. will be great. But and what it does to the NHL. Think about it. I'm, before I get back on track, <laughs> this will be. Th- I'm in here, baby. It's tangent time. This will be three straight years of a non-normal schedule for the NHL because the 2020 season ended, restarted. Yep. 2021 abbreviated, mm-hmm. and this one weird because of the Olympic breaks. So you have to compress it. That's three straight years without a quote-unquote normal schedule. I can't wait for 2023. Can you? Not can you I, not? I actually, can actually. <laughs> but the the loss to Chicago, I, I would not label that as concerning. It was a trap game. I wouldn't go that far. I, I feel like it kind of was because I even I, I we asked. I mean, it was me and Brooks <laughs> down there right. and asked like, what was the preparation? Were you aware of what Chicago was going to bring? Like, yeah, we thought they were going to bring their A game and we knew they were going to do that. So they knew. But a lot of times on the ice, compared to what we've seen in other games. The team was not clicking as well, and it was it was chaos a lot in the third period too, even for both sides. That's what I'm saying, but I, it, I wouldn't call it a center of a trap game. For me, Chicago came out again, as you said, to prove themselves. Nashville was about to come home, okay, and so and they had a successful road trip to that point. They'd, be, they'd beaten some good teams, they hung in with some other ones, and I just thought, you know, it, it just wasn't their night. Soros stood on his head. He had 30 saves. It seemed like 25 of them were like Vesna Trophy real caliber. I mean, it probably wasn't that many, but it seemed like that many. But again, the Predators of their last uh, seven games, quick math, seven games, have gotten points in six of them and have won five of them. Yeah. That's pretty legit. And so if they can keep that going into the last two games of the technical road trip, because I know they're home and then they, you know. But right, right. Uh, I, th- I think they're, they're in pretty good shape. Again, it's all about testing the adversity of Forsberg being out and what they can do with that. And then Janot getting his shot up at the top six. And then, you know, how does that work out? How long does that last? Is it a right. shift? Is it a period? Is it, is it the two, three, four games? I mean, like, it's, just, it's all interesting to see. But Soros playing so well 
really is the key to the Predators' success right now, even though there's been a glutton of offense recently and, and, and better play all around. But I will say that uh, we're, we might see David Riddich in net, and if we do that, that's going to be another true test. How, how does the team perform in front of him? Do they tighten up? Is he ready for prime time? Because he hasn't played really meaningful hockey in a long time, and when he was going to get his shot, Connor Ingram ended up getting it because he was on the COVID list. So he's now back. So we'll see. By the way, it's David Riddick. Just I was guessing fifty fifty <laughs> because somebody corrected me before the season. I was like, okay, I'm going to commit that to memory. But in doing that, <laughs> I switched. And you messed them. it up. No, <laughs> but this, I won't now. This is that you, you, you just oh, yeah. yep. All right. Yep. Up next, let's talk Dallas Stars. The Predators are taking on tomorrow night. We have Saad Youssef with the Athletic coming up next here on Penalty Box Radio, ESPN one two five. The game. And welcome hey, back. Sh- let this play out. <laughs> Don't ruin this. Let it breathe. Let it breathe. Thank you. Let it I'm way better than poor. Come on. Oh, I'm sorry. I love you, poor. <laughs> welcome back to Belling the Box Radio. ESPN 1025, the game. Justin Bradford, Jeremy K. Gover, producer Kenny, taking care of us. Uh, you made me go. Uh-huh. What? You wanted, me, you wanted me to talk. I saw the look in your eyes. Well, I mean, eventually. We can't. Jeez. All right. This is not an instrumental station. We can't just let I know, the I song know. go 20 minutes. <laughs> All right. Well, up next, let's talk Dallas Stars. We have Saad Yusuf from The Athletic joining us. We had him on last year. Really great stuff. Does a great job covering the Dallas Stars. Great in-depth coverage on TheAthletic.com. Saad, welcome back to the show. Good to have and good good to be on, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, so it's it's curious looking at the start of the for the season for the Dallas Stars. It's almost similar to the Predators that it's you're seeing a little bit of what could happen, then a little bit of a losing streak, had some rough patches, some overtimes as well. I know expectations have got to be a little high, just given the talent on this roster right now. What do you kind of look at one eighth of the way into the season now for the Dallas Stars and who they are and who they're trying to identify themselves as? Yeah, well, you know, they they really haven't played to their identity much at all, except for a couple of games, I would say. Like, you know, there was the win they had against the Penguins, and uh, maybe another every now and then they play to their identity. But really, it's been it's been a disappointing season so far, and I think nothing really screams at home more than the fact that they are the only team in the NHL without a regulation win to this point this season. So, um, you know, when you're when you're you know keeping that kind of company, and, and before that it was just them in Arizona. That's certainly not the company that you want to be keeping. But, you know, I think a lot of it has to just start with their defense, and that's been pretty leaky. They've been spending way too much time in their own zone. And that's, you know, when you're, when the Dallas Stars, especially in this era, are not scoring goals, that's not really much of an alarm or anything. It's kind of what they do. I mean, they, they, they score timely goals. They score every now and then and try to just get by. But when the defense is struggling, that's when there's a real issue. And right now they're having trouble Stopping the, they're, they're having trouble avoiding penalties. They're having trouble, uh, you know, preventing the puck from going in their own net. And uh, and in, and then their offensive issues kind of get spotlighted even more because they're losing games uh, because of that. 
Yeah, and you've even written about the the lack of discipline uh, for the Stars as well, and and the penalty kill being a little bit of doomy uh, with them against the Canucks as well too. But uh, before we even get to that, just one of the thing of interest, obviously, because of Nashville with Ryan Suter, and that was one of those things in the off season and him getting bought out and then going down to, to Dallas as well. What has been what is what's it been like with Ryan Suter there? What has he added, or what would you think would the expectations be if there's anything more that the Dallas Stars want out of him and what he's been contributing so far? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely higher expectations than what he's been able to do so far, and it's kind of hard to really, you know, uh, put a blanket judgment on him right now because throughout the entire training camp, the plan all along was to play him with John Klingberg, and four minutes into the season, John Klingberg got hurt again in the Stars opener against the Rangers, and he was out for four games. And so, you know, this is, although the Stars are 11 games into the season, that pairing of Studer and Klingberg are really just a few games in. It took John Klingberg a few games to really get back in the flow, and now we're kind of seeing um, what they could actually look like. And, you know, the results early on just haven't been great with Suter, but um, like I said, there's been other circumstances that have kind of, um, you know, contributed to that. But, you know, they look for him to, to really, you know, be, a, be an effective player on the, on the second power play unit and to be a top-level defenseman on the top pairing. Like, you know, the Dallas' top pairing um, is always going to be John Klingberg and Ryan Suter. And then uh, they, they really don't have one top pairing. They have two with then Miro Haskin and now Thomas Harley. But, um, you know, they need Ryan Suter to be that impact player with John Klingberg, play a more defensive game that allows John Klingberg to re- really, you know, show his offensive prowess. And I think a lot of that is kind of, it, it's kind of been a struggle for Suter. And the, and the other thing there is John Klingberg is, is, a, is a unique defenseman. So when he's out for a while, Suter has to adjust his game from what he was looking forward to when he's playing with anybody else. And he's also someone who is really, you know, uh, he likes to stick on that left side. And so um, the Stars have a plethora of left-handed defensemen, whereas Klingberg is the, uh, is the righty. And so when he was out, that really took a toll on Suter's game as well. So all that to say, I think it's a little too early right now to place just on Suter, but uh, the results haven't been with where he or the team was so far. Saad, so you mentioned the the defensive uh, numbers that Dallas is allowing. I guess I don't know the way to say that. Uh, there, there's only uh, only Chicago and Arizona have a worse goal differential in the West. But my question is, from not having watched every single Dallas game, how, how much of the defensive problem that the Stars are facing? How much of that is goaltending versus just the defensive play in front of them? Um, I, I think it's more the defensive play in front of them because, like I said, they're spending way too much time in, the, in their own zone. When you look at Brayden Holpe, I mean, he, you know, he's been the the number one goaltender for this team, and he has a 924 save percentage, which you know you'll take that um, out out of your number one goaltender, especially given where the expectations were after Holpe's last couple of seasons. So I wouldn't say goaltending is the is the main issue. It's certainly I, I think Dallas fans and you know people who have watched Dallas recently have kind of gotten spoiled because a couple of years ago Bishop was a Vesna finalist and. You know, Anton Hudobin had the great run through the Stanley Cup final, but really, this team now where they are, they they have decent goaltending, but they're they're one they're just unable to get out of their own zone. And two, look against Vancouver, they had six penalties, and even the game before that um, against Calgary, they had three penalties in four minutes in the third period Yeesh. while they were protecting a one goal lead. Like you just can't do that. I mean, in the last two games, they've had five on three situations, like. You're not doing your goaltender any favors when when you're playing the hockey like that. And, you know, for as veteran as this team is, it's just unacceptable to be, to be so undisciplined. 
Switching to special teams, the Stars are the third, have the third best power play in the league, but also they're like I think they're fourth or fifth from the bottom on penalty kill. Can you I mean just can you kind of shed some light for us as Nashville comes in there how important special teams are to the success and the failures of the Stars so far this season? Oh, it's everything. I mean, and that's actually an issue for the Stars. They're really over reliant on the power play for their offensive generation and uh, for how much they generate. And and the other thing is the penalty kill, it, it looks worse than what they actually are on paper because a lot of the, the guys that are taking penalties are prime. Uh, they, they are the penalty killers. So, you know, you saw last game when they took six penalties, Miro Haskinen, who's one of their top penalty killers, he went to the box with the first penalty and Vancouver scored six seconds into that power play. Um, and, you know, same thing, Roddick Fox, a uh, penalty killer, took a penalty. Luke Glenn Denning, all these guys that are supposed to be out there, you know, so when, when they're already on a man disadvantage, it's, a, it's really a double whammy because the guys that are supposed to be out there killing penalties are sitting in the box. And then when you look at the power play, this power play should be one of the top in the NHL. I mean, there, when you have John Klingberg and then the line of Hintz, Robertson, Pavelski, and Radulov there on the top unit, that's a – that, that should be an elite unit. They've been doing uh, – I would say they've actually underperformed a little bit, but they're playing better now. And then the second unit is also pretty stellar. So the, the, the power play, it's not really surprising how well, it's, how well it's been. The penalty kill is probably not as bad as it looks, but it's just the guys that are getting the penalties are really, uh, are really hurting that cause as well. Again, Saad Youssef with The Athletic joining us talking Dallas Stars. And before I have to let you go, Saad, looking at pressure on, on who the pressure is on for this Dallas Stars team, and you have great young players in terms of Mario Haskinen and Jason Robertson, and then you have plenty of veterans too that are still producing. Is there more pressure on the veterans, or would you say on some of these young guys to perform? Like, obviously, there's plenty of pressure on, on Haskinen with what he's able to do. And then Jason Robertson, obviously, following his tremendous rookie season as well. Is it equal amounts of pressure, more pressure on these young guys? What are the expectations for a lot of these young players to help carry this team i think real a real pressure real expectations is kind of on the young guys and and it's kind of sad to say that a lot of the older guys that have the big contract i think fans and just people in general have accepted that look jamie ben is not going to be that kind of a score tyler sagan is not going to be that lethal score that he once was and so the pressure uh, of money and contract is certainly on those older guys because they carry those contracts but when, it, when you're looking at, you know, which guys have pressure to perform, I do think it's the younger guys. And that's actually one of the things that's been hurting the Stars as well is their best player, their best overall forward. I would say their best player overall is Miro Haskin, and he's played up to every bit of expectations this season. But their best forward overall is definitely Rope Hintz. And he has been just uh, – there, there has been a, just so much bad luck with his game. He's generated so many chances – so many great scoring opportunities but hasn't been able to find the back of the net. So, you know, it's those guys, Rope Hins, the Jason Robertsons of the world, um, Thomas Harley now that he's on the second pairing with Haskinen. I mean, he's just a rookie, but, you know, there's pressure there to for him to perform as well. And so, um, you know, I do think the pressure to, to perform is on the younger guys. The older guys, it's just, you know, they just they just can't be terrible. And, and you know, that's that's kind of the bar of where things are in Dallas right now. I mean, I know the Predators were at that point as well. Just don't be terrible. <laughs> Give the young guys some experience and let it roll and see what happens. Such a wonderful thing for the fans to say. Yeah, just don't be terrible. Just don't be terrible. Well, well Saad, as always, we really appreciate your insight, man, and thank you so much again for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, guys.
All right, folks, Saad Youssef from The Athletic covering the Dallas Stars. Seriously, really great information on the Dallas Stars there. Uh, so make sure, you know, sign up for The Athletic and get that information, uh, especially if you're trying to do some scouting on the opposition that the Predators are going to play against. One of the best in the league. Yes. Best writers. He's, he's tremendous. Absolutely tremendous information. Okay, up next, Craig Morgan of Phoenix Sports will join us to talk about the Arizona Coyotes. And I might throw in a question about Arizona State as well because Ooh. some college hockey as well. Ooh, All right, let's, let's go on with future opponents for the Predators. Up next, Penalty Box Radio, ESPN, 102.5 The Game. Welcome back to Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Jeremy K. Gover, producer Kenny. All right, let's move even further west. We had Dallas last segment. Let's move over to Arizona and talk Arizona Coyotes. We have Craig Morgan from Phoenix Sports joining us. Craig, thanks so much for joining us, man. No problem. Thanks for having me. So this has been, I'm sure it's been discussed so much, it's been a rough season so far for the Arizona Coyotes, (laughs) but... A big win, obviously, against Seattle, the the team that, I mean, shoot, I'm sure it was big for them to be able to, to come back, at least the way they did on Saturday, to get that win against Seattle. What's your overall take so far on this season for a very broad question here to start, but your take on the Coyotes, where they're at, and what you can kind of see from this team, if there's something they can improve upon, or if they're going to continue to go on with, with your article of the fan guide to a responsible tank? <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is all about that, that, look, everybody that was being even remotely realistic this season knew that the Coyotes were going to be a bad team. They were going to be at or near the bottom of the standings. To be blunt, that's the goal with the organization. Now, players and coaches, of course, are not wired that way. They want to win. They're competitive. Mm -hmm. So this is really hard on those guys. But from an organizational standpoint, they stripped down this roster to the studs, they got a lot of, you know, aging veterans on one-year contracts. They got a lot of assets in return for those. They traded some of their best players for more assets. They've got eight picks in the first two rounds of the 2022 draft. That's what it's all about for this team. It's all about the future. So we knew it was going to be rough. Um, you really can't look at the on-ice product and say, okay, well, are things going to get better? Or, you know, what are the goals? <laughs> it's really hard other than to say, you know, you want to see Andre Turigny as a coach sort of establishes systems and the style that you want to play. And then maybe some of those you know, middle core guys can show improvement. Other than that, there's just not much to take from this season because it really isn't about this season. No, I mean, that's actually a great way to put it. And looking at that, we were preparing before this segment, too, of eight picks in the first two rounds, my goodness. Uh, but looking at this, too, I mean, Shane Gostaspare basically was was as a here's the thank you gift uh for for the team as well and he's a leading point getter for the team is he meeting expectations does he need to do more for this team what are, what are the expectations for a guy like him who is basically given to the coyotes along with more yeah he, he's an interesting guy actually because he's one of the few guys that they took when you when you look at the veterans you know you look at louis erickson antoine roussel jay beagle um Andrew Ladd, none of these guys, most of these guys are at the end of their careers, and that's, that's the reality of it. So the Coyotes were willing to take on those cap hits, you know, that, and that was the game for the teams that gave them away, and in, in return the Coyotes also got assets. But, but with Shane Gostisbehere, Bill Armstrong really felt from the start that he had some game left in him and that he might be able to help this team, and, and he has, actually. He's played pretty well, particularly at the offensive end of the ice. He's, he's given them a spark. He's looked good at times on a power play that 
has mostly struggled but had some stretches. So there's, there is some game left in Shane Gostisbehere, and I do think he has been one of their better players. Craig, I have to ask this because you, when you mentioned the fact that there's aging veterans and a lot, you know, there's a lot of uh, guys that are you know going to age out of their contracts and all that stuff. I looked at Cap Friendly and I looked down the list, and there, <laughs> he's already laughing. He knows, where, he knows going where I'm going with this. So for the listeners who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, if none of the RFAs came back, okay, none of the RFAs came back, there are two forwards that will be on this team, the Arizona team next year, only two. And then there are only two defensemen that will be on this team next year as well. And uh, it looks like no goalies as well. So can you kind of – are they? let me rephrase this. Are the Coyotes – is the Coyotes organization, are they public about we're going to tank? Or is it more about – now we're going to try to kind of put a facade up. Like how, what, it, what is the delivery PR-wise from the Coyotes? Yeah, there's, there's, there's not – you're not using the words – tank they're not being quite that well, certainly, certainly hope not. but let, let's just call it they've been diplomatic in it they've they've, they've marketed it well <laughs> it, it is is not a a secret to anyone that follows this team locally everyone knows what's happening here and to be honest most of the fan base is on board with what's happening because you look at that roster that they had you know over the last couple seasons under rick tockett there's a lot of belief that they, they did about as much as they could do. There, there was a feeling that with the, the, the pieces they had in place, this was never going to be a team that did anything more than contend for a bottom playoff spot. And that's not why you play the game. Obviously, you want to win cups. You want to at least make deep playoff runs, and there just wasn't a belief that they were ever going to get there. And I think it was a realistic belief when you did a realistic assessment of the roster. The Coyotes have had rebuilds in the past. The problem has been is they've, they, they've changed course midstream. They haven't stuck with it. And it's a really hard thing to do when you're playing in a, a non-traditional market where you're trying to attract fans, trying to make revenue. And, oh, by the way, you're also playing in an awful location that doesn't help you financially at all. Ownership groups tend to get a little antsy. And so you, you see you know, these plans change course midstream. And what happened because of that is you, you make mistakes. You, you have to stick with this process for long enough to make sure not only that you get some key pieces high in the draft, but then you surround them with depth. We've seen a lot of teams make those sorts of mistakes. Uh, look at Edmonton. I mean, until this season, it's, it's amazing to me that Connor McDavid has been out of the first round once in his entire career, and that all had to do with depth. Edmonton made some mistakes. Um, when the Coyotes did that in the past, they don't want to do it now. We will see if they stay true to their convictions. This is really what Bill Armstrong wants to do. He, it's, it's not a one-year process here, guy. He's going to be probably doing a lot of similar things next offseason because you mentioned how few guys are under contract. They're probably going to be looking at taking on more contracts that teams are looking to shed, trying to get some more assets. And then, you know, over two, three years, maybe you are able to draft and develop enough players that you could start, and see, start to see some light at the end of the tunnel. I think I'm going to try out for the Coyotes next year, Bradford. Do it. Okay. Uh, a lot of spots over here. <laughs> oh, might be able to get a league minimum contract. So, <laughs> be a warm body out there. So, Craig, uh, I, I, what you just said is very enlightening in the sense that it makes me wonder the psychology of some of the players, right? So, Clayton Keller right. is a 23-year-old guy, uh, assuming no life 
you know, like risking injury. Uh, he's going to be around for a long, long time. But there's other guys like Kessel. I know a lot of the, some of these guys have won Stanley Cups, but but Kessel, Erickson, these guys, the older guys that are now have to go through this. Jay Beagle, they have to go through this knowing that the organization isn't quote unquote trying to win. How is that sitting in the locker room with those guys? Yeah, and look, I look at a guy like Phil Kessel. You, as long as you brought him up, it's no secret that Phil Kessel wants out. He's had his agent talk to the Coyotes. He wants to play for a team that's at least contending for a playoff spot, and that's understandable. And the Coyotes are trying to trade him. To, quite frankly, they're just not a decent offer for Phil Kessel right now, so he may have to wait until the trade deadline. As far as those other guys you mentioned, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough situation, but it, at least those guys are on one-year deals for the most part. The guys that I think about the most are the guys, like you mentioned Clayton Keller or Jacob Chikrin or, or Nick Schmaltz. You know, Clayton Keller and Nick Schmaltz have contracts that are tough to move. Jacob Chikrin is off to just a, a really rough start after being, in my mind, one of, one of the top uh, contenders for the Norris Trophy last year. What are those guys thinking when, when you're looking down the road and you say, okay, it's, it's not just one year, it's two or three years. These guys are giving up years of their prime playing for a team that they know is not going to be competitive, and NHL careers are finite, that's a really tough thing to have to fight through, to know that you don't have a chance for some key years of the prime of your career. So before we have to close, uh, two more questions for you. The first one, there's a Nashville connection, <laughs> weirdly enough, with the Coyotes, and Karel Vejmelka, drafted by the Predators, never signed, was playing over in Europe in the Czech leagues, and all of a sudden here he comes over and has played 10 NHL games after not playing in North America uh, and actually not looking awful either as well. What's the impression been of him and kind of finding him as a guy that was drafted and never signed and stayed in Europe and now all of a sudden has been able to contribute to the organization, especially Carter Hutton undergoing injury like that? Yeah, they're really happy with Vimelka. Uh, he- it was one of their scouts, actually, Teal Fowler, who was over in the Czech Republic and saw him and just basically radioed it back to Brian DeCourt, <laughs> who was the head of goaltending at the time. And everybody just started watching video of him. They fell in love with him. They created this video package for Armstrong to watch. The, the hockey house people started drafting, like, you know, what his value might be. And then he comes over, and you still don't know. You, you have an inkling that you might have something here. And then he plays really well in a number of games. So they're excited about his potential. It's you know, I don't want to call him an unknown commodity because obviously Nashville drafted mm-hmm. him, but, but Nashville wanted him to play in the ECHL, and he didn't want to do that. He <laughs> thought that developing in the Czech Extra Liga was better for him, and then he just kind of fell off the, the face of the earth for a while, and the Coyotes rediscovered him. We'll see. You know, it's, it's, it's a small sample right now, but he's right. given them sort of a, a little bit of hope at that position, which is, you know, with, with the way things are going around here, hope is a good thing. No, absolutely. And last question before I have to let you go. I know you, you do a lot of coverage, too, with Arizona State, and it's just since losing the college hockey program closest to Nashville at UAH, it's just good to see a program being successful over in Arizona as well, too, and wanted to get your thoughts as well. Just with the Coyotes having been there, but especially now Arizona State, what is that doing for hockey and the growth of the sport over in the state of Arizona, just in that area as well, too, to have a team that's competing, that's playing some big college hockey teams as well, and also you know getting more recognition by getting players scouted and eventually they're going to make their presence known in the, in the NHL, too. Yeah, it's, it's, it can only help, right? It, look, the Coyotes are the biggest reason for the growth of hockey in the, the state of Arizona. Um, if you look at those USA hockey numbers year, year after year, the state of Arizona has some of the greatest percentage growth. It's always top five, and, and you can say, well, they, they didn't have large numbers, so that's easy, but it keeps happening. So 
it's it's a big market, obviously, anyway, Phoenix, so they are responsible for it. But then when you add the layer of college hockey, it's only going to help more because now now you're getting some of the you know some of some of the top players from the country are considering actually coming here. I'm amazed at what Greg Powers, the coach, has been able to do with that program because if you have ever been to Oceanside Ice Arena, and I don't want to denigrate a community rink, it is what it is, but it's a community rink where they play. You you pull up to it, it's in the middle of a an industrial park. It's got like a dirt lot in front of it. There is no curb appeal or inside appeal to this place <laughs> at all for recruits. And yet they made the tournament. They would have made the tournament a second time if COVID hadn't cut off the season. They're getting top recruits. They've got Shane Doan's son playing for him, Josh, and he's lighting up the NCAA right now. Next year, they move into their new arena. I have done a virtual tour of this place. It is unbelievable. When you're talking about the only true warm weather climate uh, in, in Division One college hockey, and now you've got this arena coming on board, I just don't see any any way that Arizona State is not going to be a top program because they have such recruiting advantages over every other program in the country. 100%. Now I've got to put that on the list to get over there for a trip. <laughs> no doubt about that. Experience that. And and also, it was really cool, too. We just had the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame game here in Nashville and saw the Arizona State's going to be playing North Dakota next year in that, too. Just an awesome right. experience and great for that for that organization to be able to participate in that, too. So, so Craig, uh, appreciate your time so much. Thank you so much for the information, for the insight, and, and can't wait to talk to you again in the future. All right, guys. Thanks again for having me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, folks. Craig Morgan, Phoenix Sports does a fantastic job covering hockey, just hockey in general in Arizona especially, from Arizona State to the, the Arizona Coyotes as well. He does such a great, wonderful job doing that. Uh, so just give him a follow. He has all the inside information and has stuff from the Coyotes to college hockey and everything. Go over. we got to get over there for college hockey now. I already follow him, but I can't see his tweets right now. Go over because I'm Twitter hacked list. out. Anyways, up next, we have plenty of questions that you asked on Twitter that we're going to cover from prospects to a Titans question in there as well. Forsberg injury. Uh, what's going to go on there with guys going on the IR and underappreciated predators as well. All that up next. Penalty Box Radio, ESPN, 102.5 The Game. Yeah. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio. Look at you hitting that post. So proud. ESPN 102.5 The Game. Jeremy K. Gover, who's proud of me. Producer Kenny behind the glass. He's thoroughly entertained by Mr. Jeremy K. Gover. Yeah, it's been pretty good. It's been a long time since me and Kenny. (laughs) Hey, Kenny's awesome, man. He is awesome. Thank you. I try. You. you don't even need to try. Dude, dude. It's effortless. Awesome. It's effortless, my and friend. And I'm telling you that song right there because you you guys got a game tonight, right? Oh yeah. yeah. I played that specifically for y'all. Thank you. Y'all got a game tonight. All right, we gotta get. I'm gump- hype. We gotta get on. Gumpy on the. I'm hype. Oh yeah. Just. Yeah. Right. I'm hype. <laughs> All right. First question on the way out in. too, if you don't mind. On the way out. <laughs> first question Where comes in from Danny Butler, the VP and GM of Ford Ice Center. This is for Gover. Oh God. Gover, what should he have for dinner? At like 749, What's Gover, you? who is Mr. Chicken Strips, barbecue sandwiches, and pizza. He has a wealth of food knowledge, not. What he wants he, to know what to have for dinner? What, what, should, what should he have for dinner? Hmm. How about spaghetti? Spaghetti. Oh. I'm kind of going off the board a little not bit. Not SpaghettiOs, but just spaghetti. No, SpaghettiOs. Come on. Oh, don't come on me. 
don't 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 go no, no you're not gonna you're not gonna do it when it comes to food please excuse me while i finish my grilled cheese <laughs> okay so spaghetti there you go danny get, get that done and share please okay first question comes up from nick what is the ceiling for the Preds' young Russian prospects in Trenin and Afanasyev? Will Askarov ever play a meaningful NHL game? Well, yes, I believe Askarov will definitely play a meaningful NHL game. It's going to be a couple years from now, but he's definitely going to play a meaningful NHL game. Hold on, I'm Mr. holding on. Uh, in terms of Trenin, I still don't see him in terms of capping out anything higher than a, a third-line player, which is totally okay. Afanasiev, I see him as a very solid potential second-line player, a power forward, a true power forward, is what Igor Afanasiev could be, who we had on the show last week. Highly recommend you go listen to that interview because he is awesome. It's my turn now. It's your turn now. Okay, sure. oh, here's what I want to address. First of all, Bradford, I agree with everything you just said. Okay, great. But I do want to address the Askarov thing. Okay. I tweeted out back when I had a Twitter account. So remember, we have a time limit here. Yeah, no. I, t- <laughs> I tweeted out the whole plan that I believe the Predators are going for. So it would be Riddick this year. It would be Ingram backing up Saros next year because he would have proven himself in Milwaukee. And then Ingram probably one more year as the backup. And then Askarov would then come over and be the backup slash hybrid starter, whatever, in that fourth year. That gives Askarov a chance to go in the KHL and dominate like he should. It helps him play out his contract over in Russia. He comes over, and then that gives the Predators options. They can either trade Saros at that point for some assets, or if Saros is the guy, the, un, the, 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 the guy, no question about it, then all of a sudden Askarov becomes available, and they trade him for a ton of assets. So that was the plan that I mapped out, was I think Askarov will be here uh, in 23-24. That's my, that's my guess. Okay, that's fair. This one comes from Johnny. Is there any sort of health advice you could ju- suggest Preds fans exercise to help them deal with Ben Harper's consistent presence in the Preds lineup? Um, Tums. I don't have an answer to that. Just Tums. Uh, let's see here. Let's go to uh, Austin. Is Forsberg gone by the deadline, or should the Preds resign him? Gover? <laughs> Both. <laughs> uh, they should resign him for sure but if he does not like the way that the team is going i can totally see him saying i'm going to hit the open market and see what's going on if that's the case Poyle has to trade him he cannot do this i'm going to hold on to a poss- slight possibility to go far in the playoffs with philip forsberg because let's admit it okay there's no question about it if forsberg's on your team you have a better chance of win- winning in the playoffs than if he's not but you cannot let a Ryan Suter situation happened again. No. And Mikhail Granlin twice. He, he hung on to him, didn't trade him. He got real lucky. That's not going to happen again. No, it won't. So if, the, if Forsberg has shown no interest in returning or is even playing his cards close to the vest, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do. You have to trade him mm-hmm. at the deadline. You have to. I agree. I, I agree with all that. Okay. This one comes from Housecats, one of my favorites out there. Most underappreciated predator so far this season. I'm going to let you go first. You're, why? You're going to let me go first? No, I'm the host. Okay, all you right. go first. Fine. Let's <laughs> pull this host card on me. Uh, I have the Albie Shore voice, okay? so Okay. All right. That's dumb. You're delaying That right was now. funnier than I thought it was going to be. Uh, so Tommy Novak is my answer. Okay. I think he's stepped up and he's played extremely well in what seemed to be kind of a, hey, come up and help us for a game or two and then go back to Milwaukee. Next thing you know, he's one of the most consistent players on the ice. Maybe not producing scoring necessarily because three of his points came in one game but i just mean overall you haven't noticed him out of place he has brought something to the table and he's forced his name 
to stay in the lineup. So I would say Tommy Novak because nobody mentions him. That is an excellent, excellent choice, too. And the good thing with Novak is that in the role that he's playing, if you're not saying his name, that's often a good thing. Just like in a third-pairing defense. Exactly my point. You know, If you're not saying his name, that means he's not making big mistakes out there. He's just playing his role. And Novak is doing a fantastic job with that. I'm going to go with, for right now, Colton Sissons. Okay. Because he's doing his job. He's winning 56.91% of his face-offs as well. He has five points already too but he is kind of stuck in an area to where he's going to be and you know he's going to be he's on that long contract now as well he's just playing his rollout uh not going to be flashy not going to make any of those those big things like that so when i say when i see underappreciated because we're always appreciating roman yossi we see what matt duchene's doing right now ryan johansson has started off the season well forsberg is injured tanner Janot is definitely getting the respect that he deserves out there and so i i look there and colton sissons is, is up there i would also add to that that if he has not proved to you that he's a team first guy then oh, you, yeah. need to, you need to check something because he was this guy scored a hat trick in the most important game of his life which is the western conference finals to go to the stanley cup final proving he can do that any lesser of a person would have been like no i deserve a shot at the top six instead he's centering the bottom line and doing it so well that it's become an identity of the club. Yeah. So yeah. I would completely agree with that. I'm still going to stick with Novak, but that's a great answer. Before we have to go, going to continue to put the pressure on, on the league, on the NHL, on the Blackhawks. Folks, it's still not good enough. What came out recently is that the NHL's informed a lawyer for John Doe 2 that the league will not cover costs of counseling or therapy for him and his family. They're putting the onus on the Blackhawks to do that. Got to be better. You got to put the pressure on the league, and you cannot let any talk of this die, folks. You cannot let talk. Put the pressure on. Keep the pressure on the league. Keep the pressure on the NHL. In general, keep the pressure on the clubs. Because remember who the bosses are, Gary Bettman? It's the owners of the clubs. They have a say. So it's not just Gary Bettman. It's the people that are running these organizations that are trying to cover things up. They're trying to not let things happen the way they should. They're not letting due process happen. You see the stuff that came out with the Anaheim Ducks and what the investigation is going to go on there. Keep the pressure up. Hockey culture's got to change. It's got to change because we're seeing way too much of this BS happen, and things are not changing as well. you got to keep the pressure up, keep talking about the situations here. What Commissioner Gary Bettman, what's coming out of his mouth, is 100% not good enough. We have got to keep the pressure up on him. It is not good enough. They don't belong in these positions. If they're not going to do things, they're going to help people, help the sport of hockey grow, and we've got to go. I agree with everything you just said. Thank you, sir. Thanks so much to producer Kenny for Jeremy K. Gover. The K stands for knowledge. And Twitterless. And Twitterless. This is Justin B. Bradford. Thanks so much for listening to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 1025 The Game.